This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good morning, this is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, and as you can tell, this week I'm not joined by Manchester United legend Paul Parker. He'll be joining me tomorrow um, to pick the bones out of whatever happens tonight. Um, but because the result of the game's on a, a Monday, I thought uh, we'd fill the Monday morning podcast by um, getting someone on a little bit different. Um, and the, the guest with me today is Joe Seeley, as you can see the name there. Um, son of Les Seeley, the legendary cult figure at Manchester United and other clubs as well. But um, as far as we're concerned on this podcast, obviously, cult hero Manchester United. Um, Joe, a lot to talk to you about today um, with regard to Les, his career and um, the forthcoming autobiography. Uh, first of all, how are you doing, mate? You all right? I'm very good, Wayne. Place to be, yeah, good stuff. Um, okay, so if you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, feel free to get your questions and comments in. I'm sure, um, if I can guide them safely towards Joe, you'll be happy to answer them. Um, and if you're watching the replay, do say hello and, and feel free to comment. We do still reply. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to give us a review on the platform you're listening on. So Les Seeley, for our younger, more uneducated viewers and listeners, he played 56 times for Manchester United, which doesn't seem like a great number. But in those 56 times, he made such a significant impression. He played four finals and a charity shield. His last five games for the club included a European semi-final and three finals. His last, I think as if we worked it out, his last four starts were in finals for United. I mean, these are numbers. And in a day and age where the sport is dominated by numbers and statistics, Les is a reminder that it's more important than ever to remember the true characters of the game. And Les really was. I mean, I was trying to work out how many players have been signed more than once by Sir Alex Ferguson. (laughs) And it's probably a very, very short list, but I I definitely know this for sure. Les was the only player to be signed technically four times by Sir Alex Ferguson, which is... um, Quite a, a distinction. Um, he was yeah. one of the great um, characters in Manchester United history. But it's not just United. Obviously, he played over 450 league appearances for other clubs. He played at Coventry, Luton, and ended his career at his boyhood team um, at a time when they were bringing through a lot of great players, one of which yeah. was you in the youth team. And, and yet he has this very, very special connection with United fans. Yeah, I guess I just want to start off by saying, obviously, he's done all this and like he's a massive character. Every, he's beloved wherever he went. How um, 
how on balance, how much would you say that Leza's career is most remembered by United fans? On, on, on a percentage, how, how often do you get stopped by United fans? I get stopped three or four times a week by people that I don't know. And then anyone that knows me will always talk about the cup finals at United. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if you know this, that I'm on, a, I'm on a TV show now with my wife. And the more I'm on that, the more I get stopped by United fans to talk about my dad's cup finals. Always, always but either Rotterdam or yeah. the FA Cup final replay. Yeah. What about Sheffield Wednesday? People must talk about that. So that was heroism in... in... Yeah. I mean, that was... People don't realise that, that he nearly died from that. So he... When he got when he got clattered in, in in the game and got his knee cut open, they stitched him up on the pitch and he had the famous fight with the physio. But when yeah. they stitched it, they stitched a load of dirt into it, so it went septic. So he collapsed at the airport. So he rushed to Middlesex Hospital and they said to him, "If you didn't come, if you would have got on the plane because he collapsed at the airport, you would have died." Good. Um, and best way, you would have lost your leg. Um, he was lucky to ever walk again, let alone play football. He recovered, and he actually recovered by going to. Brian Robinson's faith healer. He went there and this woman, woman, I took he took me with him. He, um, we went to this this house and she said, I've, I've got to get, I've got to get pissed. So she drank a bottle of vodka. And she said, there's an Indian sitting in the corner. And then she just put his hand, her hands on his knee and he said, it was like two irons. Yeah. And she said, in three days, you'll wake up and the swelling will be gone. And he said, on the third day, it still couldn't walk. Fell asleep. When he woke up, the swelling was gone, and he, he, his career carried on. Yeah, it is mad. I and mean, just a few weeks after that, he played against Barcelona as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have many memories of his career at United in particular? It's the first club. See, I, I'm a United fan because it's the first club I remember him playing for. So yeah. I don't remember. I mean, it was, I, he was at Coventry for eight years, but I was only alive for two months of that, and then Luton for seven. Um, so when he joined United, I was. I was seven, eight, and I remember that. And I remember going to Old Trafford, sitting in the stadium, and I remember that, what I do remember. I was the noise was terrifying for me when I was seven or eight. I'd never been to a club where it was so loud. Yeah. And, um, yeah. With with um, Les, when he, he came to United, he seemed to well after he signed for United because he, he had two loan spells before he actually signed. And after yeah. he signed, and he was like the regular goalkeeper for a season. There was an yeah. interview with him in the match program. And he was talking, um, I've got the quote, it's, it's like, every day is like Christmas, every time I'm picked it's a bonus, even if my next game is my last. I've already yeah. achieved more than most by simply playing for United. I only came here to be cover, United could buy any goalkeeper they wanted. He had a very pragmatic sense of his value at, at the club, which mm. is strange because obviously he's loved more than what he thought his value was for sure. Yeah. But um, was it very? I mean, obviously, he came to United at the sort of this sort of tail end of his career, where he was having loan spells, um, trying mm. to reignite something in his career. So the opportunity to come to United, obviously, he has a, a a very transparent graciousness about that. How yeah. was it for, for you guys? I mean, you moved. You would have remembered life before Manchester United. So when you yeah. actually get to United and you're under the glare of the biggest club in the world. Mm. How did life change for, for someone who's obviously he had quite a lot of modesty about him? Yeah, it changed massively. I remember even for me as a kid at school. So when he was at Luton, he was just he was a player, but he was my dad. It wasn't a big deal. He went to Man United and you get mobbed yeah. everywhere, picking me up from school, walking down the street, people would stop their car. 
it was it was a completely different level of fame and uh, and I think what he he found at United is he came out at 32 the year before Luton he fell out with Ray Hartford and he hadn't played so yeah. he kind of I thought I think his career was over he's suddenly at the biggest club in the world and every day was like what you said he enjoyed every day sucked it in and I think that's why Fergie liked him yeah because every day was enjoyable he was a good character around the club um and he never took it for granted yeah no, that, that's certainly the case. Mm. The, the, the big moment um, early on in his United career came when Jim Leighton was dropped for the 1990 Cup final and, and Les was called up for the replay. Um, how much did that take everyone in the family by surprise? Well, it took everyone in surprise. We lived 10 miles from Wembley and none of us went. So that's how late, how late it happened. We watched it around my nan and granddad's in Chinkford. Uh, my mum wasn't there. None of us were there. So... It completely come out of the blue and people don't people don't realise Jim and my dad, my dad was quite one of those people in football that didn't keep in contact with people. Jim Lamb was one of his best friends to the day he died. Jim carried his coffin. Yeah. Um so it was a it was a big deal. None of us were there. Um and he came home after. He came home with a with a guy called Lawrence Lustig in a in a full Sierra down, yeah. down the A four oh six who was in Chinkford to work for the Daily Star. Yeah. And it was just a normal day. Well, it was weird. Little bit different in that he came on yeah. with an FA Cup winners medal, although he very nearly didn't because he offered that to Jim, which just extraordinary. There, there are a couple of incidents of that in United history of goalkeepers sort of offering the medal because mm. United have traditionally had this sort of problem with goalkeepers and cup finals for some reason, and, and mm. your dad sort of inherited that number one shirt and. And then was signed on a permanent basis and became United's regular goalkeeper for, for yeah. the following season. Um, United, the 1990-91 season where we were in Europe for the first time. Um, what was that period like? It's one thing coming in and stepping into the breach. And, you know, there are a lot of rumours linking United with Neville Southall, with the, um, I forgot the name, the Russian goalkeeper that we were linked with. So there were a lot of you know, world-class players being linked with United, but Les just took it in his stride and for that season where he was number one goalkeeper, certainly didn't let anyone down. So uh, what were your memories of that? Your your dad is the number one Manchester United goalkeeper. Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I mean, I'm extremely proud of my dad. And what, growing up, it was, it was life-changing. Our lives changed the way, the way we lived, the things we did, because um, footballers weren't paid what they were, what they're being paid now. I mean, I'll tell you, for example, when he was first in goal at United, he was on three and a half grand a week. But yeah. He was on a thousand pound a week at Luton. So yeah. that uplift in lifestyle and moving to to the north. So the first year, at, strange enough, the first time he signed for United, we never moved. So we would leave school on a Friday, me and my mum. My mum would pick me and my brother up and we would drive up the motorway to Wilmslow and stay the weekend with my dad. And then we would all drive back on Monday because he only had a a 12-month deal. Yeah. Um, it was the second time he came after the villa. Uh, yeah. We moved there. But just, just being around the place, you could feel that it's just different to anywhere else that yeah. I'd ever been as a kid. It was just, it was electric. Yeah. The um, you, you mentioned what happened against Sheffield Wednesday. So for mm -hmm. those, again, like I know that we we talked about the incident, but mm -hmm. Sheffield Wednesday won 1-0 on, on that uh, day but Les carried on playing even though he, he shouldn't have done and like I said he, mm. he very nearly lost his leg could have lost his life and recovered I, th I don't know if you could even say he recovered because his yeah. leg was so heavily bandaged yeah 
the Fergie was ringing through the goalkeepers, not sure what to do. But Jim, um, sorry, Jim Les declared himself fit for the um, trip to Rotterdam. I remember I've talked to a number of the players who played in that team, Clayton Blackmore, wondering, are we sure that we should be letting him play here? Because, you know, if he's not 100%, then, you know, it might be um, doing the team a disservice. But first of all, he didn't because obviously we won. He made a couple of important saves. And it was that kind of character that that United team needed, really. They needed to sort of roll the sleeves up and say, like, we're not going to be beaten by anything here. They definitely needed that against Barcelona because that was Johan Cruyff's first great Barcelona side. Um, when you've been faced with that situation, I mean, what, what can you remember of your dad's memories of that time? Because, I mean, before I talk, before I talk to you about your recollection of it, mm. your dad playing in a European final, United's only ever second European final. So it was a massive, massive deal in those days. The Cup Winners' Cup was... It wasn't the European Cup, of course, but it was very. It was a second tier trophy. It was much highly, much more highly regarded than what the UEFA Cup mm. or Europa League would be these days. So it was a massive yes. trophy to win. What was it like for him um, experiencing that? I think again, it was just an experience that he wouldn't let go. I mean, I, I, I don't remember the game so much from being a kid, but that game's a lot on MUTV, and I've, I've watched it a number of times. And you can see struggling in that game. I don't know how they won that game. I mean, Barcelona yeah. should have bombarded that box. They didn't. I think their goalie was that suspended as well. They had a second choice in goal. Yeah. Um, and I think that might have helped. I mean, the goal from Kuman hits the post, and and the guy, I think if he's fit, he saves it. And he there's a couple of you can see from his kicking, he's not he's yeah. not fit. And I think I think Fergie says in his book he would have taken him off if it went to extra time. Um, but that I think just summed up my dad. I think that's one of the questions I'd have for my dad if he was still here. I'd say to him, "How did you play in that game?" Because you can, I know living with him how much pain he was in yeah. and, and how long it took him to recover from that from that injury after um, I don't know how he did it but I think that sums up I think that team spirit of that team and football in the 80s and the 90s was a different yeah different thing you know and less subs people played yeah it's, it's a strange one the balance of that because I mean if you do watch that tape back in that you know if anyone has anyone watching this or listening back hasn't watched that game, certainly do go back and watch mm. it. It it is over that balance. You have a, a threshold of should I play or shouldn't I play, and you can see yeah. that he shouldn't. But that tells you how much the the opportunity meant to him. Because you know, I mean, how many goalkeepers, how many players are going to get a chance to play in the European yeah. final for United, especially your dad's career trajectory to that point. But um, mm. yeah, he was he was. Didn't let anybody down. I think you're probably right. If he was completely fit, the goal wouldn't have gone in. Um, but I guess in a strange way, even accounting for that, it just adds to the theatre of it all, doesn't it? United have got that storyline. So he, I think you know, it's yeah. just like it's like it's meant to have been. Yeah, I, I, I thought my dad's career at United was it was like it was written yeah. in the stars that that stuff would happen. And and strangely enough, I bumped into Alex Ferguson for the first time ever um four months ago i was at a horse racing i've got some horses he's got well, we was in the same company and somebody introduced me to him and he said to me actually he said to me your dad made my career and i said to him well i think you made my dad's career and i think he would and he went well maybe we did each other a, a thing yeah. and, it was, and it was a lovely lovely moment because i weren't expecting that from obviously the greatest manager that football's ever seen yeah. um but people do say that he saved he saved his job. I know Martin Edwards says he didn't, but Fergie thinks he did. So, you know, that was lovely. Yeah, that's well, certainly. I mean, 
there was so much riding on that first trophy and it was such a massive decision that um if it had gone wrong do you know what i mean it could have easily been such absolutely right so um it's not surprising that Fergie holds him in such reverence and it goes to show the esteem in which he holds him because obviously Fergie's not going to reserve that kind of yeah. praise for everyone. Not even Roy Keane gets that oh, these no. days. Um, really but, <laughs> um, so the last chance for, for Les at United. So he went to Villa. He, he signed yeah. his deal at United. I think he was hoping for longer at United, but then when he signed Schmeichel, it was kind of like, all right, I'll move on yeah. to get 13 football. And to be fair... Yeah. What Les had done at United, I think he'd grown in confidence a little, right? So he'd gone, all right, I can establish myself as a top-level goalkeeper again. So, he, you know, he went to Villa, played a few games there. Yeah. Didn't, well, I mean, Villa still had, um, was it Nigel Spinking also? They, yeah, Nigel Spink. So they um, they already had their established goalkeeper and he found himself in a similar position. So when United were again needing cover in, in goalkeeping, I think Gary Walsh was probably still suffering. They weren't sure about the after effects of his brain um, knock. So they were yeah. sort of running gently with him and Schmeichel was picking up a couple of injury problems. And then, not just injury problems, there was the um, still in 994 where United were just getting players sent off every week. So at one point, it was Eric Cantona. I think Hughes might have been sent off. I'm, I'm trying to think. They were getting a lot of suspension. Yeah. No, Cantona was sent off twice, obviously. And then, and then against... Um, against Charlton in the cup, Peter Schmeichel comes rushing out, Russia blood to the head, completely clears out a Charlton player, and Les is brought on as a sub. Um, Schmeichel's got a suspension, which means he's ruled out of the League Cup final against Aston Villa, of all yeah. teams. <laughs> and yeah. your dad is the one called into the to the breach for that. I mean, yeah. now you're a little bit older, you, you've seen United, uh, your dad's returned to United. It must have felt surreal for like history to be repeating itself that he was going to play in the League Cup final again. Mm. It was, it was, a, it was a strange one. And I remember that was the only cup final I was actually at, that cup final. Physically, physically at we all went. Um, and I think that looking back at it, I, I know, see, I've got memories of it and now I've read the book or the pre preempt to the book. So I've got his, his side of it in my head. And I think yeah. that he felt he wasn't fit or, or, or ready to play, and he should have played the last few league games, but Smarkle put his foot down about it. And yeah. I think he felt that he wasn't fit enough. And that ended up costing him probably, that game cost him another year at United, in actual fact, what happened. And he didn't make the bench for the FA Cup final. He got yeah. dropped. So what kind of happened to Jim Layton happened to him yeah. um, after that game. Fergie decided to put Gary Walsh on the bench, cancelled my dad's contract for the year after. Um and the same thing happened to him, unfortunately. But, you know, I think that that's just another, that's football. You know, yeah. that, that is football and and his story won't be the same about it. No, oh, yeah. Um, in the cut, I don't think he, he, I don't think he let anybody down in the, the second League yeah. Cup final at all. Um, in fact, if if memory serves me right, and you'll know this much better than I do. I, I remember the game. I, I know that United, Ron Atkinson did a number on the, the wingers and everything like that. Yeah, they did, yeah. Great, great tactical plan. I do remember is there was a, a great photo of a, a great save that Les did. Is that that's right from that cup final, right? He's a full stretch tipping one over the bar. Yeah, that, that's in that game. That's in that game. I think that from Leo, and I don't know what Fergie's side of it is, that he just felt I think the team as a whole was a bit flat and yeah. he was the change in it. And 
I think he he didn't blame him, but I think that my dad felt like he did. Yeah, um, you know that that's that. I mean, but it's another couple of unfortunately, for, like my dad as well. But I think he played five League Cup finals and never won one. So yeah. I think that like that was he always felt that that was his lucky, unlucky cup. Four sorry, four cup, four League Cup finals and never won one. And I think that he felt that that was his unlucky cup because I always remember him saying that when I was when I was a kid because um, he had a couple of loot and two at United. Yeah. Um, and I think he, he felt that, that that was never meant to be. I think he would have probably traded that. If you'd have told him the balance is oh. four, four lost League Cup and, and a one yeah. European Cup Winners' Cup, I think he would have... I mean, if you'd have offered him four winning League Cup finals against a losing European Cup Winners' Cup, I'm sure he would have swapped it around. And... I, yeah, he never would have... I mean, I don't think he would have changed anything that happened to him. I think I think he, he loved his time there. He loved the finals. He loved the fans. He... He appreciated it like you wouldn't believe. And actually, it changed his life forever. Um, yeah. Because yeah. without without that Man United time, would would I be sitting here now? Because of Luton Coventry, would he have finished? You know where he ended up, Plymouth. You know, probably not. We wouldn't be doing a book. There wouldn't be any of this going on. It's because of Man United that this is happening. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Uh, you, you spoke about the, the sort of aftermath of that League Cup final, mm. and you're quite right. I remember. Um, Schmeichel picked up an injury against uh, Ipswich and he had to hobble off and Gary Walsh replaced him for That's it. Uh, the last two league games when there was the talk would Walsh or Seeley come in. So Walsh actually came out. And actually, uh, to be fair, Walsh played really well. I think it was Southampton played really well. And then, then Schmeichel did actually make the final. Um, he, you know, it's a, a very late decision, but yeah. Schmeichel made the final and I think he, sim- he made a similar save to the one that your dad made in the League Cup final. Yeah, yeah. Um, United won four 0 on that day. So yeah. look, came back to them. But in that last season, obviously Les were play- played and worked mostly with the reserve side. That's yeah. the likes of the class of '92 and everyone that you speak to at United. Um, always, I mean, nobody's ever said anything bad about him. They were all talked. Mm glowingly about his character yeah. his, his great sense of humour you know you had the likes of Brian McClare the loudest characters in the dressing room always speak with reverence about um, the way that your dad conducted himself and is that I mean in a way apart from the fact that he played for United and, and played 50 odd times and played in the cup finals and won a European trophy with United is it the fact that they all talk about him in such kind terms is that more important than anything else really the way that they talk about his character I think that is now. I think that was probably what made my dad a good, a good fit with Fergie because it yeah. wasn't he wasn't Eric Cantona or Mark Hughes or whatever. He was what you would call not a run of the mill top top level goalie, but you know he wasn't Peter Smeichel. But yeah. he had that belief, my dad, and that confidence and that personality that got him to that top level. And that's really what what got him there was his, was was the way he acted and, and conducted himself around the football club. And when I speak to Especially the ones that were the scholars then, the, the class of '92, which I do, I speak to quite a few of them. They all, two things always comes up. One, I was terrified of your dad screaming at me from every single player that I meet, and two, he helped me buy my first car. Uh, in fact, <laughs> one of them called me yesterday and said, "You've done this book, this book together." And I said, "Yeah," and he said, uh, "Make sure you t- make sure it's in there that he took me to buy my first um, Nova, and he made me buy a radio to come out. It weighed, it was like a briefcase." <laughs> he used to take all the scholars to buy buy their cars. And I think David Beckham was my dad's boot boy at that time. So and he was from Chinkford. We're from we're from yeah. the same place. Yeah. So they knew each other from 
from there. We all went to the same schools and stuff. So, I mean, it was just that 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 time at United, I suppose, when you look back now, it was a magical time that you didn't realise at the time was because of the players and yeah. what was changing was football history being made. You know, yeah. you were there. Yeah. And Dad definitely played a massive part in that. And so we fast forward to the fact that he finished his career. At his, I mean, perhaps the fact that he was at United helped him move to West Ham, you know, finish his career his yeah. club, really. His last league game was at United. He came on as a sub in Cantona's last game. So Cantona steals the headlines, but a lot of us still remember it was Leather's last game as well. I didn't know that. I did yeah. not know that. Um, okay. He became a coach at West Ham for for a while, and you were obviously sharing some time with him because um, because you were a young goalkeeper coming through as well, right? You were a goalkeeper, yeah. that's right. I was, I was a goalkeeper, yeah. Um, and then obviously um, uh, there was a tragic passing in in August two thousand one. Um, he died suddenly of a heart attack, um, and again, yeah, you can't speak, you know more profoundly about the tragedy of that um but ever ever since obviously every single year there's a there's a reverence that's uh, i keep using that word because it's so significant with your dad reverence mm-hmm. and love everyone that knew him every, all the football circles in which he operated in everyone always comes out and speaks glowingly of him and then for the last few years joe and i've seen this story around for a long time and i know that you've mm-hmm. been working on this for a while that, that mm-hmm. Um, his autobiography, the, the the files of that were found, the papers of that were found. So, yeah. First of all, I, I know we're going to talk about the process of getting it published, but I, you yeah. know, I'm an author. I've written a few books on United. Yeah. This story always fascinated me. How, how yeah. did it come to be? When did you first find out that he? So, I do. I I kind of have recollections of him making it at the time. So it was a guy called Les Cliverow who was my Sunday morning football coach at Pointland Football Club in, in Cheshire. Um, and Les Cliverow, he sadly passed away a couple of years ago, coming up to two years as well now, had a very distinctive haircut. So he looks like Roy, Roy Cropper on Coronation Street. And uh, so I hadn't seen him since 94. My son in 2015-14 signed for United in the academy. And I'm standing there watching the under-12s or the under-13s playing, and I look up and I think, that's Les Cliverow. And there's no one else that would have that haircut. <laughs> so I walk up to him and say, is it Les? And he says, yes, it's Joe Seeley. I've not seen him since I was 10 years old. So I've not seen him in nearly 20 years. And he says to me, I've got your dad's book. So I said, but dad never did his book. He said he did. I, he did it with me um, in 94, and I've got all of the cassette tapes of him speaking, and I've got the manuscript. And he said, come to my house in Portland. And it was in his loft. So I go to the house in Portland and it's a, it's one copy. It was wrote on a word processor. So there's, there's a file with A4 paper in it. That's the only copy. And then a, a lunchbox, sandwich box, of cassette tapes. And he gives it to me. So I take it away. And for a little while, I didn't know what to do because it was quite an emotional thing. So, for example, I still haven't listened to those cassette tapes because although I see him a lot, probably every week or every couple of weeks on the telly at some point on MUTV or whatever, don't hear his voice. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't do lots of interviews. And I think that that will be done after at some point. I probably will sit down and listen to him. So he gave me the, all, of the, all of the stuff and I went away and I, and I read it and it got put in a cupboard for a little while. And um, 
someone from the Daily Mail wanted to do a story on my dad, not the book. And when I was doing the, the interview, I said, I've got this manuscript. Um, and he said, really? I said, yeah, yeah. So he wanted to, he wanted to talk to me about it and I didn't do it. And then I, a year later, I rang him and I said, I'm ready to, I've spoke to my family. We're ready. Do you want to look at publishing this manuscript? I'd, look, I'd read the manuscript and I thought it's not, not that it's not great, but what Les had told me was that my dad had made, said to him, you've got to write whatever I say. So the way I speak is how you're going to write this book. Yeah. And to be honest, it didn't, it didn't work well. So, and it was only half a book. So yeah. it was only probably 70, 80 pages in, in form, book format. So I ended up meeting with a guy called Tim Rich. Yeah. Who's a journalist and he's wrote he wrote Conchelta's book. He's done a few done a few books, and we set about two about two years ago, putting the book together. And it's a bit of a this book might have a bit of a tainted thing. Tim Tim's wife unfortunately got cancer during the process, and she sadly died last year. Leslie Rose died in the last few years, and obviously my dad's not here. So there's been some delays along the way of getting it together. Yeah. Um, and it's, now it's 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 ninety five percent done, and we've just signed a publishing deal. Yeah, that's amazing. It's a crazy yeah. story. And yeah. it, when you were saying that, I'm reminded of the, the first book that I worked on was um, with Brian Greenoff. And we worked in 2012 and the book came out in November 2012. Mm. And he died in May 2013. And we were doing a podcast and we did a podcast every week, this podcast. And he, he was with me every week and we talked about United. And... Obviously, I've got the audio files of that as well, you know, and I've offered them mm. to his sons and we're talking 10 years after and, you know, it's still too difficult for, yeah. for them. They know that the files are there, but it's, and it is, it's just a, I mean, I can't even imagine that, finding out that you had that um, material there. Do you mm. know what I mean? And it's, it's going to be, and I guess you're going to do it at some point, but. Yeah, I think what we'll do, I mean, there's hours of it, so that's maybe 20 cassette tapes both-sided um and i don't know what to do but I'm, I'm, i still get emotional about my dad i miss him every day um, yeah. i think about my dad every day and um i think that whether we do a podcast with him or or something happens with it after but i don't want to sit there and listen to him i want it to be a legacy for my dad so i feel that that will happen better and i'm ready now to probably listen to him i was never i couldn't do it when i first did it. i just couldn't i bought a cassette tape player from a because no one, you don't think about it. I never had a cassette tape player. So I remember yeah. I was in yeah. Hull and I drove past a charity shop and I bought a cassette tape player, which I've got upstairs for three quid um, to listen to. God, six, five, six years ago as well. And I couldn't do it. I just I just couldn't do it. But I think I will when the book's out and we're, we're ready for that, whether we do a podcast or just sit there listening to them. But I don't know whether I can do it with anyone there or I've just got to yeah. sit there and listen to them. But it'll be a great memory to hear his voice. I mean... Just to hear his voice again would be amazing. Yeah, it's, you know, it's that one-sided conversation. You'll be hearing things that, you know, you were saying earlier, what the conversations that you wish that you'd had with him, those are going to be those conversations, aren't they, really? And, yeah. you know, unfortunately, you know, obviously you can't talk back, but just listening to it, to it and, and hearing the way that he will explain his experiences in the way, you know, in a, especially in a complete full and frank way first of all your dad never pulled any punches when when he spoke in interviews anyway but secondly um 
the fact that he wanted it told in his own voice, you know that he's going to be saying it in a very particular way that you know will be, you know, bring back a lot of memories for yeah. you for sure. Um, can you tell us any more about the public is, uh, publication? Can you tell us when we can expect it? Yeah, so we're looking at I think spring next year. Okay, um, is what what the timeline is. It's got to be fully finished by November. So what we what they've had to do is to make it a full book is go back and interview people. Um, yeah. players at the time, managers, people that my dad affected, because like Glenn Johnson, Chelsea, England player, lived with us as a kid yeah. as well. Uh, Stephen Bywell, um, my dad, I don't, people don't realise this, my dad was one of the founding partners of a football agency called Stella, who are now the world's biggest football agency. Um, stuff like that, people don't realise, and that, that's in there. And and the effects on my life and my family's life after, yeah. after his passing, how it affected me, because it, you know, affected everybody differently um, are in there. And it's more of that complete story. So that's the last few bits being put together at the moment. There's in the original manuscript, um, the Jim Layton had done a chapter. Yeah. So um, Les Clifford, I would interview Jim Layton. Of his, so there's a chapter of my dad on the day of when they found out and then a chapter on Jim Layton on the yeah. day that Jim, Jim had done. Um, there's a lot of that in there. There's a lot of Galatasaray information in there that you, you know, it's interesting to read and things like that. The exit from United, what he thought about different people and and, and the different clubs and funny stories and 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 stuff like that. And it, it's he because he wasn't like what I do remember mostly about my dad is he didn't like doing press stuff. He really didn't like doing it or interviews. So he would go training, come home and be on the sofa, smoke, smoke cigars, and he drank coffee, my dad, and Diet Coke. That was it. I didn't drink alcohol, really. I never I only saw him drink twice, once at Dion Dumbling's wedding, once at Paul Ince's. And he'd be laying on the sofa every day, every day when I got in from school. And I didn't realise at the time I got to spend so much time with my dad because he didn't go to any of this press stuff. There isn't loads of his stories out there. So this is full of it. This is full of insights into that dressing room different dressing rooms, transfers, what was happening, and he's, he's thoughts on everything. And I think that that side of it is extremely interesting because of the Man United history from that from that point. Yeah. Um, well, without doubt, he was involved in um, one of the most critical periods in United history and mm. him stepping in as a capable goalkeeper when, you know, Fergie was under um, immense pressure and then to coming in and help the club win their second European trophy. Um, I know you've spoken very modestly about his ability and your dad was yeah. very modest about his ability, but his contribution to United history and the way that he's beloved, um, yeah. it just it honestly cannot be understated. And, you know, I've said it before, said it to you off air, we've talked about it before, that yeah. everyone who runs this podcast and, and the website associated with it is just massive fans of your dad. We all grew up in that era of you know, him, him stepping in and remember the journey of, you know, thinking that these kind of things might derail United trying to get back to where they wanted to be, but he was part of the journey and part of what made it a positive one. You know, yeah. he could have easily been a bad goalkeeper. Yeah. He could have been the reason why he didn't win uh, the, the Cup in 1990 or the mm. European Cup Winners' Cup in 91. He could have easily been the reason why we didn't, but he, he didn't. He, he stepped up and he was uh, magnificent and... Um, just a, a tremendous character, yeah. missed by everyone, not just yourself and, and your family, you know. Um, but 
with death, you always have this opportunity to to remember someone and remember the legacy in which they they created, and he certainly did that. Um, really, really looking forward to the book. Um, yeah. Having written so many myself, it's a relief to actually get books that I haven't written, so you know, <laughs> I'd be able to read something. And, and certainly, yeah. the book on layers. Once I first heard about the story and how you came to get the tapes and everything and the manuscript. So fascinating, and I just can't wait. Honestly, I'm, I know yeah. I'm not going to be the only one. So, um, spring next year, we really everyone will be looking forward to that for sure. And, and when it comes out, maybe get you back on the podcast and we'll talk about the, the reception of it a million percent. I mean, the one thing I will say, and I think this is all true about all great Man United goalies, and whether or not you count him in that or not, and I do because of the effect he had on the club, is that they're full of confidence. They're big characters, Peter Smeichel, Van der Sar, even David Haya. You have to be a special character to play for this football club. That's what I think. And the ones yeah. that haven't worked out are people that shrink. And I think my dad had that confidence to say, I'm here and I'm going to make the best of what I've got at this football club. Yeah. No, I absolutely 100% agree. And it's probably that character that um, more than the bandage <laughs> probably <laughs> covered covered the um, whole array of different things yeah. against Barcelona. It was probably that character that did it rather than anything else. So, yeah, um, yeah just, yeah, thank you again for your time, Joe. Really appreciate that. And uh, we're really looking forward to the book coming out next uh, year. If, you, um, if you've been watching live on YouTube, feel free to get your comments in. I'm sure Joe will, will give it a look afterwards if you're watching back on the... Um, on the replays and if you're listening back on the audio podcast please be sure to give us a, a subscription and a review on that platform you're listening on we will be back tomorrow i've got a few podcasts lined up tomorrow we're going to be picking the bones out of whatever happens tonight um if they pull out a result that um that was the same as when les last played at old trafford against <laughs> liverpool i think it was 3-1 to united I, I went. I went through the results just to make sure. I know he played in the four, the four nil at Anfield. But I just forget yeah. that one. we're not at Anfield tonight. Um, yeah. But yeah, he definitely played a three one um, at Old Trafford. Yeah. So if we can match that one, um, then tomorrow we'll be very happy listening and viewing on the podcast. Um, we will be back uh, tomorrow. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And stay safe and stay well. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.